All right, so as we get started, let's uh, open in a word of prayer and we'll dive in and we'll see where we go. Dear God, we do thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to come. Father, let us hear your word. And Father, open our heart to um, just these topics that we've been covering that it just, uh, it just draw so much emotion from people. Uh, on either side of the aisle, either side of beliefs of this. But Father, we pray and ask that you give us wisdom and guidance. Let your spirit move in our life so that we can build your kingdom and so we can respond as you would respond, not as we would respond. And I pray and ask you, uh, allow us to be gracious in our conversation. Allow us just to uh, seek your face in all that we do. In your name we pray and ask it. Amen. All right, so as we get started... Let me ask this question. We're covering homosexuality tonight. What does the Bible say about that? How many of you have someone in your family? How many of you work with someone or live next to someone that's a homosexual? Okay. So that's over half of us in the room, right? Now, if I would have done this 10 years ago, we may have had one or two people. Okay. Uh, growing up, even... 15 years ago when I was doing youth ministry, we always talked about this topic because there was that one or two kids in school. They didn't have a whole group that was in school. It was just one or two kids. And they were wanted to minister to those one or two kids. Now it's a whole organization within the school. And, and, and so you see that it's become a little more rampant as time goes on, okay? So... Should the Christian community apologize? Oh, wait, let me click a button. Oh, I forgot I have my ground rules up here for our conversation. Real quick, our ground rules. Uh, we want to think like a believer. So what does God say about the cultural issue? And how can I have a discussion with others about these topics, okay, from a biblical standpoint? We covered this last week. Uh, second part is ground rules when we talk about discussion. Everything the church does should be seen through the, issue, through the eyes of God. Not through how I feel, not through what my gut reaction is, but what does God say about that, okay? These topics are not to bash people over the head with the Bible, but to inform so we can understand how to help people. And we offer forgiveness through Jesus because he forgave us first. And then we got this last line here. There, but for the grace of God, goes Michael Blue. Goes your name. You put that in there, okay? There are certain situations that, that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would end there. Some topics we can sit here and think to ourselves, that would have never been me. But you've got to understand, sin is progressive. And without God at all, there's no telling where we would be. Okay? People, all of a sudden, when the prodigal son returns home, he would have never thought he would end up by the pig slop, wanting to eat the pig slop, and still not getting fed. It would have never crossed his mind. Okay, so we need to make sure we understand that completely as well. All right, so who do we know? Coworker, we've already said that. Should the Christian community apologize for how Christianity has treated the homosexual community? Should we apologize for that? So let me ask this question, homosexuality. Which one's worse, truth without love or love without truth? Yeah. So I heard from Josh McDowell, he says, if you ever start looking through the Bible, especially in New Testament, but even Old Testament, like through the Psalms, start looking every time you see the word truth, how oftentimes love follows it or is in the same passage. 
And Second uh, John, for example, I just went through last night looking at it. Second, the Second John, even First John, takes truth and love in different sections. But Second John, it's just alternating pretty much going through that, that short book. But when we talk about social issues and concerns, especially the hot button issues here in our society today, we've got to, one, we've got to be truthful about it. But we've got to do it in a loving way. Okay? And so if you actually, if you actually see and you read through in Ephesians 4, it talks about truth and love. It actually says, while you're truthing in love, is how the Greek would term it. So it's like love is the noun. The adjective is the truth part. So it says you're loving in a truthful way of you're telling them exactly where you stand on it without dissolving the relationship. You know, you're trying, you're like, this is where I stand. Let me, I'm coming to you and I'm bearing this burden that I have because I'm trying to keep the relationship. Okay. So, um, so understanding the issue. So if you look on your sheet, uh, homosexuality is a moral alternative sexual uh, orientation. Okay, there's two sides of this. This is this is going to be what I would say the non-biblical side, just to kind of go down. But when we understand the issue, they come from a perspective of homosexuality as a moral alternative sexual orientation, or is homosexuality an immoral prohibitive sexual orientation? Okay. Now let's look at it from both perspectives. So if we go down on the left here, if homosexuality is a moral alternative sexual orientation. What they come across is, is they say that one, we're born this way. Okay. Now I'm going to use it from someone that is a homosexual, but let's go the other way. People that support that or, or stand on that side of things. Okay. They're born that way. Therefore, they're born that way. Homosexuality equals their identity. If it equals their identity, then it's who I am. If it's who I am, then it's normal and natural. If it's normal and natural, then it's an alternative lifestyle. If it's an alternative lifestyle, then it's a civil rights issue. Okay? So if you look at it from that perspective, if I'm born this way and I can't, I can't change it because this is how I was born, then logically... If they're born that way, they can't really control it, can they? You may disagree with the statement, but if, you first, if the first presupposition is true, then the rest of the logical sequence to follow. That's where the logic goes. So it comes out not as a, this is what I choose, this is what I, what I desire, this is how I was made. So, if you believe with all your heart, Answer this question. If you believed with all your heart that each of those presuppositions were true, can you see why you would feel angry or hurt over people who call your names, call you names, or say that anything about you is invalid or even demand that you need to change? If that's how they feel and our first thoughts to come up to them and say, the Bible says your lifestyle is wrong, you need to repent and get right with God. And... I've heard it more blunt than that. That's actually a smooth just trying to go into That's just a gut reaction of someone that just, well, you just got to get right with God. All right? So on the prohibitive sexual orientation side, you got it's a learned or developed standpoint. Okay? You're taught 
to be a homosexual, you're taught. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't, uh, I'll get into the genetics in just a sec, okay? I know that's the big question, all right? What does the genetics say about all this? Uh, so it's a learned behavior. It's more uh, not nature, it's nurtured, okay? Uh, homosexuality equals same-sex behaviors. So it's not who I am, it's what I do. If it's what you do, then it's abnormal, it's unnatural. If it's abnormal, unnatural, then it's destructive lifestyle. If it's a destructive lifestyle, then it's a moral issue, not a civil rights issue, okay? Now, with that being said, do you agree with that side for the most part? Is there something that sticks out like I'm not sure about that? Just asking. Good? All right, I'm going to move on. So the big question is, is homosexual, homosexual behavior something morally right and good that is being unfairly attacked as wrong and sinful, or is it something morally wrong and sinful being wrongly promoted as right and good? And that's the question you have to answer individually. Don't I say that slower? <laughs> All right. Um, so let's look at it this way. Well, you're born this way. Now I'm going to run through this quick, okay, because I, I have some info here. I have some things. I even looked up some new stats last night just because uh, some of the material I was getting it from came out like 2014. But a new study came out in 2019 to help answer this question as well, okay? Um, so I'm going to kind of hit this, but if you want to raise your hand and have a question, we can. I'm trying to get to about the fourth point where Scripture comes into play, so that's why I'm going to try to move fast, Okay. In 1993, a Newsweek article came out saying they found the gene that discovers homosexuality, and you are born that way. Do y'all remember that article? I was in junior year of high school, maybe sophomore. Okay? I remember the, 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 new, the, the Newsweek article because it was in every um, TV news there was. They kept showing that article. They're saying, we have discovered the gene. The problem was that the science behind it was really, really sketchy, okay? So what they did is they came down and narrowed down that there was part of a gene that may or may not have determined if you were homosexual. Well, it didn't really determine if you're homosexual. It just said you may bend effeminate or masculine depending on where you were, okay? Now, we understand that some people, some men may be more effeminate, effeminate than others, and some women may be more masculine than others. We've seen that. We know that, right? Could just be the way they're raised. It could just be that's who they are. Now, I've seen numerous couples, people like that in churches, and it just never just sits there and goes, yeah, I bet they struggle with homosexuality. I don't go that way because that's how God's made them. And, and because even if you have a man that's on the effeminate side, well, Culture jumps on it and says, well, obviously he's struggling with homosexuality. Therefore, he's born that way. He's born that way. Therefore, he has every right to live out his life however he wants. Now, with that being said, I had a guy in youth and a, guy, a kid in youth, and someone accused him of being gay. He was a little bit on the effeminate side. But he sat there and he had this conversation. So the only time I had a fight break out at camp was over this conversation. And it was one of the last times. He was, he was, I think he was a senior at the time. And I sat down with the conversation. I said, so why'd you go punch the dude? And he said, because he said I was gay. And I said, why'd that make you mad? He goes, because I absolutely know I am not. But because I 
don't do the things that other boys do. And because I like to hang out with my mom and because of the way I talk, people say that I am. I mean, he was just fuming mad about it. He got tired of one kid picking on him. Now, the other kid was completely in the wrong, okay? I would have punched him too, just for the record. But he came out and he said, absolutely, I am not gay. Three months later, he comes out as gay. So what happened in those three months is the question. In three months, he was out of high school, and he goes and talks to his counselor, and his counselor looks at him and says, well, we know you're struggling with homosexuality. Why don't you just embrace it and go with it? He got tired of the pressure around him in his circumstances. He got tired of everyone calling him that to the point he just gave into it. And he's never come back. And even in my conversations I've had with him since, it was a, hey, man, remember that conversation we had at camp? A lot of it really just came down and he just got tired of fighting it. He, he never once told me he struggled with it. What I heard was how everyone else around him struggled with it and kept pushing it. And he just gave into it. So we got to be careful in how we talk and, and what we do. Now, with that being said, I do believe when you talk about genetics and you talk about nurturing, there are some things that you're built and created a certain way. But in 98, 93, what they said was, is they came out in a study and said that they did a survey of, of, of homosexuals. Some were, some weren't. They did a brain scan. They came out and said those that had this smaller area in their brain, they were homosexual. These weren't. And even science came out and said, time out. That's not good science. But the media took it and ran with it. And they said, oh, we have found evidence and didn't let science check up on science, right? Didn't go through the scientific method on that. Well, then later, um, oop, that's my second point. So later what happens is, is two doctors come out and they report that they have a twin study. And if, if one twin's gay, then there's a three times chance that the other identical twin is going to be gay. Uh, if it's a fraternal twin, not nearly as much, but identical twins because they have the same genetic makeup, three times more likely to be gay than, than not. Well, that's not really a scientific study either. That was just two doctors' opinions from what they've seen. Uh, but also what they said was, in their survey, 52% of the people, they, the identical twins they looked at that were like that, 48% weren't gay. So you really had a 50-50 shot on this one. And they took it and ran with it because it was on the other side of 50. So it was 51 to 52%. And they said, well, obviously the majority wins out. Well, not really. Not really on that. But they didn't take into account parenting. They didn't take into account their surrounding and how they were raised with it as well. So to date, there is no reproducible genetic link to being gay. Now, there are predispositions, as we talked about. Matter of fact, they have found on the genetic code about alcoholism. And if you look at this one gene, there's about a 60% chance that if you have this alcohol gene, you will become an alcoholic, okay? For the record, runs in my family. Why I don't drink? You think it's because I'm a pastor. It's because I got one of those genes right there that says I have a 70% chance of becoming an alcoholic on my first drink. That's why I don't touch this stuff, Okay. My wife has it in her family as well. You know how we know that? Not because we got DNA tested, because we have two and three generations of families that have been destroyed prior to us. And we didn't want it to be our generation, 
Okay? So, but they have found that gene. But if you have someone that has that gene, do you say, well, you know what? You're just born an alcoholic. Go ahead and drink all you want. No, it's a destructive lifestyle, right? So even if there was a gene, which by the way, they said there's about a 20% of, of people that would be bent, bend a little bit that way, but not made that way, bend that way, would you still look at them and say, if it's a destructive lifestyle, just go ahead and indulge in it whatsoever. We wouldn't do it with alcohol, and I don't think you should do it with homosexuality, and we'll get to some of those points in just a sec. 10% of the population is homosexual. That's the premise they come out and say, hey, if you look at the census, don't worry. A lot of people are doing it, therefore it's okay. Now, when I say raise your hand if you know someone, a lot more hands were raised than they would have 10 years ago. Um, they came out back in the 90s and said 10% of the population is homosexual. So the question is, is how can so many of those people be wrong? Okay? Now, the census actually comes out and says, back in the 90s, 1% are homosexual. Media says 10%. Okay? Matter of fact, this last census, I was starting to look things up for uh, 2020. They actually had a, I mean, yeah, for the census 2020, it's not quite out yet on that. But they had a Gallup poll that came out in 2020. And I believe they said on that one, it was 2.7%. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Where was that? 2. It was right at the 4% mark. 2.7 was back in 2014. Now what you do see is that it's been a 2% increase over the past six years, but it's still only at 4%. It's still not at 10%, okay? So the thing is, it's still a very, very min minority, but yet when you watch TV, every sitcom, I'm telling you, we can guess it. Laura and I are good at this. Season two, when season two comes out, so does the gay. It comes out. <laughs> but I will say in the industry-wise, industry-wise, as you were saying, industry-wise, there's a um, larger percentage in that percentage uh, as well, you know, within, within the movies and TVs and all that, there's a larger percentage of those there. So therefore, that's what's getting filtered into our communities. Um, but... Um, but yeah, they started slipping it in on commercials real quick. Like they would do the flash, you know, they would show multiple families real quick to the point you really couldn't catch it. And then they just got longer and longer pauses. But, but Laura and I could sit there, we'd watch TV shows and season two, someone would come, come out and be gay. And then we were trying season one to guess who that was. Okay, we're pretty good at it, Joanne. Don't be, don't be laughing at me, we know. <laughs> I mean, we can guess by episode two of season one who's coming out in season two, okay? And most of the time, it's even more at the very end of the season finale where you start finding out, okay? But, uh, but so even as you go there, it's not as big as what people are promoting. It's only a 4% at best across the whole United States. So you're talking about out of, uh, what, 300 million? You're talking about 4% of that. But how much do we hear in the media? How much do we hear in the news? How much do we hear in our politics? Not politics. In, um, it is politics, but Congress and all that. Because they're in a group and they're pushing their lifestyle. Okay? So the homosexual lifestyle is normal, healthy, and alternative to a heterosexuality. Okay? So this is where we come back to, to what you said, Cindy. Um, it has one of the higher suicide rates among young people. Um, this is, and that's according to the CDC, 
Okay, so I want, I want to make sure when I throw some of this out. I was asked in, um, well, actually, let me give you this other stat real quick. Transgenders also had a stat. 40% adults have attempted suicide if you're transgender. 40% have attempted suicide. 92 of those 40%, 92% of them were before the age of 25. So it was brought to me in a um, seminary counseling class. So that someone between the age of 12 and 20 walks into your door, needs counseling, or walks into your church. They're desperate to know. They said, I'm suicidal. I'm not getting along with any of my friends. And I don't fit in anywhere. And the question was, how do you minister to that person? And man, we started throwing out answers. You love on them. You do this, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do this. He goes, okay, next thing. I forgot to tell you they're gay. Now how do you minister to them? But you know how long of a pause it was before we got there? <laughs> I mean, because we were just like, oh. And he goes, this is a legitimate stat. Okay? Is that the high, one of the higher suicide risks for young people is those that are dealing with homosexuality or the struggle of homosexuality. And when they come to the church... What they get is silence. Because we don't want to deal with that. It's messy. We don't need to deal with it. Can we just go play ball in the back? You know, we, can, we, can we just go do something else? Let's not worry about it. Because it gets real messy real quick. Because all of a sudden it gets slapped in your face. Do I confront this now? Do I build a friendship with them? And then if I confront them later, does it look like I was just trying to build a friendship so I could tell them they're wrong later? Like how do we deal with all this when it comes in. All right, let me move real quick. Uh, oh, by the way, homosexuality, life expectancy shortens by 20 years. By 20 years. Back in the early 2000s, the average uh, homo male homosexual, average life expectancy was 45 years of age. That was because of a lot of things. It includes AIDS, all STDs. It includes just the high-risk lifestyle that they live. Because, because if you're going that far against what a normal culture is, typically those in that culture have high risk of drugs and other things. But also the internal struggle you have. So the suicide rate is going to be high. But then just the, I've just got to shut the pain off from something. Now, what, what we haven't talked about on this is a lot of times you can see when, when people struggle with this, if you go back to their parents, their parents had a lot of issue with it. Either one parent wasn't there or one parent was extremely harsh. And so what we see is they're just revolting to go against mom and dad as well, whichever parent that is. And so, so that's the struggle. So they have this internal struggle that they're dealing with, and this is their outlet. So it's just a high-risk behavior lifestyle in general, whether it's because of disease, drug, addiction, and suicide and just the stress of it all, okay? So the Bible condemn, condemns lustful, indiscriminate homosexuality, but not loving, committed heterosexual practices. Now, this is an argument, and what you'll see uh, a lot of times, this is kind of the new, new realm of it. If you, I was even looking through famous Christian artists that have come out of the closet. Anybody know any? Anybody know Ray Bolts? Thank you for giving to the Lord. He came out as gay. 
a decade ago. Yeah. I grew up with someone that was a great singer called Jennifer Knapp. She came out as a, as a lesbian uh, probably about five years ago. A couple others I didn't quite know all the way. Uh, but they came out because their pastor said it was okay. And talked over their family. Their family's okay with it. Ray Boltz got divorced okay with it, now living with someone. But the argument comes back and says, well, if we're in love with someone then isn't God love? And if God is love, then why would he prohibit us from, do, from, from loving each other? Um, another new believer came into our church, and she came from a different background, and so I was just asking, because she was asking questions, the difference between Baptist theology and some other theology, and she, she said, so what do the Baptists think about homosexuality, which is always great to have right out your preschool door. And, uh, <laughs> I mean... That's the conversations I walk into, apparently. Uh, but she, she just asked the question, you know, what do you believe about homosexuality? I said, well, the, the Bible says it's wrong. She goes, I just don't know if my son walked up to me and said, I'm in love with someone. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or girl that I can sit here and say, it's love. How can I not say it's okay? And I'm just like, ooh, that's tough. I agree. So, so that's where the truth and love come in. And that's, we always want to lean on the love part. And that's where even society, because now if you lean on the love part, this is where you now get in a culture that says, do what you want. If it makes you happy, go for it. If it feels good, go with it. And if love feels good, how can love be wrong? But you don't have the truth that goes with it either. It's just a feeling. Well, man, I love McDonald's this morning for lunch. I'm going to love something different later on for dinner. Right? My love's going to change if I'm basing it off of what's best for my health, what's best for me, what's best for my soul. Okay? So real quick, going back to truth and love before I hit scripture right here. Truth and love. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I was reading, uh, listening to a book because I'm supposed to be reading a book called uh, Calls to Discipleship by Bonhoeffer. And he did it with a different thing called grace. And we talked about grace. He says, if you focus on the love but not the truth, and I'm going to summarize basically, if you, if you go and just say, hey, you can have Christ, but your life doesn't have to change, or you have Christ and everything has to change nonstop and you get real legalistic with it, then what you have on both ends is you end up condemning on both sides. You have a condemning nature or you've loved them into hell because that's not real salvation of saying nothing's going to change. That's just patting you on the back and saying, good job. And sometimes that's what we do. We just pat, oh, just love away, love away. But then on the flip side, you go to truth and all you get is legalism that comes out of it. And then that's not helpful for anybody. So back in the um, oh, early 1900s, I guess, there was a split in conventions. You, Southern Baptists decided, hey, we're going to focus on truth. We're going to focus on our doctrine. The Northern Baptists, which you don't hear about anymore, right? The Northern Baptist Convention said, we're going to focus on loving people and doing social needs. Eh, theology's out there a little bit. I mean, it's okay if you don't believe the Bible exactly says everything that the Bible says. Okay, so what you had was a split in conventions. And when you had a split in conventions, one chose and said, we're going to honor truth and theology, period. Boom. And we really don't care how it makes you feel. That's just going to stick by the doctrine. The flip side is they, the other convention went to all love and we're not necessarily going to hold tightly to theology. We're just going to love people with the love of Jesus. Man, we've 
And I want to say, one, we've done great on theology when it comes to Southern Baptist. But we've also done great on legalism when it comes to Southern Baptist. I can't really tell you about the Northern Baptist Convention because it's no more because... <laughs> you went there. Luckily, that's not on the tape. <laughs> but, but what happened was there was no doctrine foundation, so it just kind of filters out, right? You just kind of do what you want to do at that point. But you've got to have them both in there. So real quick, as we look at this, when we come from a scriptural standpoint, um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. God made man in his image, and he describes making Adam and Eve as a match for Adam. Do I need to put the little joke in there? He created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Huh? Y'all been waiting on that all night, haven't you? <laughs> okay? But the perfect helpmate for Adam was not another Adam. It was Eve. And that's how God designed and created Okay, so to solve the alone problem of Adam, Eve was the answer. Genesis 18 through 19, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah had a lot of issues, homosexuality being one of them. Okay, but it was a complete turning their back of God. We're going to live however we want. We'll sleep with whoever we want. We'll do whatever we want. And God's judgment came down upon them. So we can't sit back and say, oh, well, there was other sins going on too that caused that. Well, you still got to address that one sin as well. So it's just kind of like the, the, the same point of you can't throw one up there and say Sodom and Gomorrah went down because of homosexuality. But it was a part of why they went down. There was just a lot more rebellion as well too, okay? Um, so normal relations were completely rejected in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus quoted this in Matthew eleven twenty three 23 and 24. This was God's judgment, Jesus said. Uh, Jude 7 also talks about Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of punishment. And then Leviticus 18. I know we are real caught up on our Leviticus, right? Everyone read Leviticus before they got here tonight. We got it memorized. Leviticus 18, 21 through 25 declares quite clearly that this is a perversion and a violation of your character. Now, it talks about all types of sexual relationships that are basically against God's will. Okay? Relatives you can't sleep with. Animals you can't sleep with. People of the same sex you cannot sleep with. It's a list of just perversions. Now, when you, So when we talk about it, Leviticus 18, and then it's re actually repeated in Leviticus 20, and they call it an abomination. So what you have here, so then this is the argument of, well, this is Old Testament, it doesn't apply. Part of what it is in the Old Testament is, because the same scripture there of what about those with tattoos, Right? Every time I talk about homosexuality, someone's first challenge is, well, God, what does God say about tattoos? I've seen a lot of Christians wearing tattoos. But Leviticus is to sit back and say, hey, this is the nation of God. And we're going to act different than every other nation around us. And all these other practices that go on, which also right above in, in chapter 18, it talks about them sacrificing their kids to the, to, uh, the god Molech. Okay, which was last week's lesson. It talks about that. It says, you will not act like the pagans that are around you. This is the law. This is where you're standing. This is how I'm going to make you different than everybody else around you. 
But then when New Testament comes in, we want to sit back and say, oh, you can live however you want because Christ has come in. So why do we harp on this one sin? No, we still harp on, should harp on all sins. It's just we have Christ. And now it's, it's not the nation of Israel was designed to say, for the other nations to look and say, hey, that nation's doing different things. You remember their God part of the Red Sea. You remember their God got them out of Egypt. I want to go and be a part of that God. Look at Rahab. We've heard what happened. We heard what happened to the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Save my family and I will protect you because your God is greater than our gods. Okay, Rahab heard and knew that. So that was the whole intent of Israel was to God to say, boom, here's a nation. This is how a godly nation is to live. And the other nations are going to say, man, we want to be a part of that nation. But when Israel starts living like all the other nations, and then they start sacrificing to Molech, and they start having their own perversions and doing their own things, then they become like all the pagan nations around them. God judges Israel. Instead of being the light, they're living like everyone else. Okay? So, but let's go to New Testament, since some people think the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore. Romans 1, 26, 27. All sins here against God, not just homosexuality. Gives into their depravity, and God says, handed them over to their depraved minds. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10. Uh, all these people do not inherit the earth. Is this the one I want? I think that's the one I actually want to look up. 1 Corinthians. Nine through ten, right? Not Second Corinthians. That's key. <laughs> All right. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, rivalers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, out of all these, he listed that one. In the Bible, he listed that one. Now, for the sake of time, let me just move to the next verse. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. All those evil people he just listened said, you will not, these people will not inherit the earth. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards. And then Paul looks at him and says, you remember that used to be you. That was your lifestyle until Christ came into your life and changed you. but for the grace of God. So all of a sudden, Paul's writing this out, and he starts to write these terms. Don't you think names are popping up in his mind? Oh, you remember that guy? Everybody thought he was hopeless. He's a believer. Remember that guy? <laughs> Thank God Christ came in his life, because there's no telling where he'd be right now. So when he starts listing out this grievous list, he says, now before you judge them harshly, remember you walked in their shoes a couple of years ago. In Corinth, the pagan temple, where you would practice sexual idolatry, you'd walk in, you would pay your raisin cake, whatever, you got to choose man or woman, your choice. The brothel and the pagan temple were on the same property. They were identical. 
because their culture was just like that. And Paul says, no, you're a Christian now. We live differently than the pagans around us. Remember, you used to live that way, but for the grace of God now, this is how we live. So from a scripture standpoint, we can see Old Testament, New Testament, multiple places. This isn't one of those weird verses you take out of context. Multiple places talks about this, that it's just against the Bible. So that's the truth of it. The love part of it is, I was doing a, a Bible story. Uh, Y'all going through uh, Explore the Bible? Y'all been going through the book of Luke? We talked about the calling of Matthew a couple of weeks ago. Calling of Matthew. And Jesus walks up to Levi, Matthew, and says, follow me. And Matthew immediately gets up and leaves. Well, then the next scene you have is a party. And I always love it when they talk about tax collectors in the Bible because it's like the Pharisees come up and it's like, oh, you're having a party. And why is Jesus hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? Like tax collectors, its own little bracket of sin. It's like you got the sinners and then you got those tax collectors. <laughs> it's like way down there. Tax collectors are always a separate category. You always see tax collectors and sinners. So then I start thinking to myself, I know who the tax collectors are. Who are the sinners? Tax collectors are wealthy people because they skim off the top. They have nothing to lose, so they might as well just say, hey, Israel, you're going to owe me more money because you don't like me anyway because I'm a tax collector. I'm a traitor to Israel. I work for Rome. You don't like me. I might as well just take a few more coins from me anyway because you already hate me. So who's going to be at his house? The social outcasts. Who are the social outcasts? Guarantee you, 100% prostitutes are there. Who are the other social outcasts? Been thinking this week, I bet there are some homosexuals there. Where else would they go? Might as well go to the, the party that's being had where everyone's a social outcast. No one's going to judge you because you're a tax collector, because you're a prostitute, because you're a homosexual. And then the Pharisees walk up. How dare you hang out with these people, Jesus? Don't you know what they do? Don't you know who they are? Man, when I was reading through that, and I was like, man, who are those other sinners? And I started thinking, I used to just think prostitutes, and I started thinking, who's the social outcast? I guarantee you, those that struggle with homosexuality were there. Because the Pharisees knew exactly where they were to come and judge them. And we need to make sure we're not walking up and judging them. So, Questions on that? I'm going to stop on this one. i got two more, but I'm going to stop on this one, okay? Feel, feeling and attraction to the same sex must mean I'm a homosexual. I think this is the one that we really, really need to focus on when it comes to us and counseling people within our church. Because if someone walked up to me and said, you know what, I don't think I'm in love with my wife anymore. Like, okay, here's what we got to do. Somebody walked up and said, hey, just for the record, I'm having homosexual thoughts. Excuse me? <laughs> like, we sit on the same aisle in church. All of a sudden, for me, it's like, wait a minute. I wasn't expecting that. If people in our church struggle with homosexual thoughts, do you think we have a safe enough church where they can bring it forward and not feel judged, but would be loved on? and be cared for. Now personally, 
It's going to catch me off guard. Personally, it's going to be a struggle. But I know what the truth is. And I know what the love is. And I've got to get over myself and just deal with it. So, so I had a guy in college. He was hitting on one of my friends. They were in the dorms. He was about three doors down. My friend comes to me, comes to a couple of us, and was like, hey, this guy about three doors down keeps sending me uh, notes that he wants to take me on a date. I don't know what to do. So me, being the pastor's kid, looked at him and said, I have no idea either. <laughs> the other guy, though, said, let's pray about it. <laughs> like, yeah, great answer. So they prayed about it for a while, and I came back about a week later and said, hey, what happened? They said, you know, we decided we were going to go down and talk to him, approach him in love and truth. So we're just going to tell him, look, I know what you're doing, but that's not me. But let me tell you why it's not me. And he kind of goes through the Bible and says, I'm a, I'm a believer. I believe it's wrong for this reason, this reason. But let me do this. Why don't you come to our Bible study next week so you can learn more about the Bible? And he did. He showed up. And he showed up and he came for a couple of weeks. And so, but, you know, they're still like, is he coming for real reasons or is he coming just to get his foot in the door to kind of see what's going on, right? So we still kind of have those emotions going along. But then all of a sudden he accepts Christ. He accepts Christ and all of a sudden his whole life changed. Now, I was in an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ at the time and on our campus. And uh, do y'all know that organization? Good or bad? No. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. So, uh, oh, his name was Will, by the way. So Will shows up and he comes to our weekly meeting. As he comes to our weekly meeting, one of these miracle of God things happen is that we all as Christians act like Christians are supposed to and we loved on him. When we went to the movies, we invited Will. When we went and hung out on the weekends, Will was there. And everything that we did, Will was invited to. I went to Panama City back in 1997 on a summer project and Will was supposed to go with me. But here's the deal, Will didn't, you had to raise your own support to go, which was about two to $3,000, but the problem was Will didn't have a support group back home outside of college that would give money for him to be a Christian. Matter of fact, his family was like, you're a Christian? Okay, whatever. We're not giving any money to that. He couldn't raise the support to go. Now, we've buddied up with Will. We've talked to Will. Uh, my friends talked to him and said, hey, you know, you know the lifestyle you came out of. What do you think about it? And he's like, you know, I've been reading the Bible, and I've been praying about it, and I just think that lifestyle is not me anymore. But then all of a sudden, summer hits, and he doesn't get to go on this project, and we come back. He's in a homosexual relationship again with somebody. He becomes the founder of the LBGT at Louisiana Tech. And we're like, dude, what happened? He said, well, you know what? I gave God a, basically an ultimatum. I said, I need these feelings to go away by this certain time. And then when everybody left at summertime and I didn't have my support here, those feelings came back and I just gave in to them. And that's all we know of Will. Now, my question is, was Will ever a believer? I firmly believe he was. I just believe he got caught back up in a sin lifestyle. Okay? But I do know that I did everything I possibly could when it came to loving him, to making sure he knew who the love of Christ was. And if he really was a believer, then you have to trust and continue to pray that the 
Yep. Yep. Our issue was not Will, because we, we would talk to Will a little bit here and there. His partner was very angry at us. Very angry at us. Because he went on that other side of the chart. If you're born that way, you can't change it, and how dare you change us. Will was on the other side. Now, he, he went to that side because that's what he said, but, but when we knew Will, he was making a choice, and he knew he was making a choice. But how many people would come forward in our church, in our community, and say, I'm a homosexual, and we'd say, you know what? i got a chocolate bar for you. I'd love for you to come to church with us. I'd love for you to come to Bible study with us. Because you know what? I'm going to take you exactly where you are, and I'm going to show you love, and I'm going to show you truth in the Word of God. We're going to love on you. Because I'm going to let Jesus change you, not me. And I think when it comes to homosexuality, too many times we try to change someone. And we just need to understand, that's not my job. My job is to go. My job is to make disciples, to teach, to baptize. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change them. And when I try to change them, then I'm, I'm trying to do God's part. But I want us to have an environment in our church where when people come with their struggles, whatever their struggles are, this is one of those ones we like to kick around a little bit, right? Those people stick out, we know it. But whatever your struggles are, we want an openness where people can come and share their burdens because you may have someone that's been here a long time and you never know it and all of a sudden one day you're like, you know, I struggled with homosexuality growing up. Because of the grace of God, I went this way. But every now and then that sin pattern still comes back in my life. Now, we'd sit here and say, oh, I can't relate to that. But you know your sin patterns. You know your bends. You know, hey, it may be a drink that puts you there. It may be your anger that puts you there. It may be a certain lifestyle that puts you there. We know our sin patterns. It's just their sin pattern. It's just, so we got to love them the same exact way and not elevate one over the other. One of the last things I just want to say, and it's not even in my notes anywhere, but how do you deal with uh, homosexual couples that are now married? How do you counsel them? How do you counsel homosexuals that are married? married. Yeah. Officially, official, marriage. official marriage in the eyes of government. Right. Sometimes in the, I won't say in the eyes of God, but under a church. Um, I think, I think uh, how you handle it is very delicate. I've talked to someone and talked to them in love and just said, hey, because it was their, their brother that we were talking about. For the record, she never came back to our church. But in truth and love, I sat there and I said, they said, well, he's a believer. And I said, yeah, he is. I said, well, and I told him, it's not my job to change him. I said, well, what should they do? I said, if they're truly seeking the face of God, then I would tell them they need to call a timeout and sit back and pray. Because this is where it gets really sticky. Is what if kids are involved now? 20 years ago, we didn't have to worry about that. We didn't have to worry about marriage. We didn't have to worry about kids. But, man, there's a, it's like if you want to adopt a kid and you live a homosexual lifestyle, you're at the top of the list to get one. And we've, I've seen those relationships that are very unstable and they break up and then you get kids and foster kids caught in the middle of it as well and adopted kids as well. So, so as you look at that, it gets really sticky in how we handle this, but we cannot back away from the truth either.
we cannot back away from the truth, but we still got to show love. And you got to understand when you start talking some of these things and the Holy Spirit starts working in their life, you're talking about families, not couples, not individuals, families at this point. Because the way our culture has gone, it's put us in that situation. Okay? So I would definitely say we pray over everything. We bathe it in Scripture and we, we look closely and understand when you're talking to someone, you're asking them, hey, this is who Jesus is and he can change your life for the better. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to cost you. Jesus will. But it is going to cost. And you've got to understand the ramifications of it too. Now, with that being said, it doesn't excuse us from doing it. We still got to show love and we still got to show truth. Okay? But you got to understand the pressure on the other side of that conversation. That's, that's hard. Because you're asking someone that committed their life to someone else, even if it's not in the eyes of God. So, so this is where I go with John 10. 10. It's, it's kind of almost a life verse for me just because it keeps coming up so often, especially on topics like this, because it just rings true. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. And whether we sit in our church and we watch whether it's these very uh, high-profile cultural sins or not sins anymore, cultural issues of homosexuality or abortion, or we talk about divorce rate, or we talk about your personal sin, when you sit back and you just start seeing a wave come, you sit there and go, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's not for God, the thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy it. And that's the world, that's the flesh, and that's Satan. So we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to protect ourselves. But we've also got to protect our tribe as well. We've got to protect those people that are here with us as well. And so make sure you're constantly praying for people in your Bible study. You're praying for their families. For all those that raised their hand and said, I knew someone in the homosexual lifestyle that were praying for them because they will never experience the abundant life if all they know is the thief. They'll never experience the abundant life if all they know is the thing that steals, kills, and destroys what they do. That's all they know, and we've got to introduce them to Jesus. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for today, and man, the burden that is on our heart for these people that it just seems like Satan has such a grip in their life. Father, we can find freedom in you because your truth sets us free. Help us to be the instruments that you've called us to be. Help us to be the people you've called us to be, to minister, to love unconditionally. Father, allow us just to have a conversation with someone that doesn't know you this week that struggles in certain areas of their life, I pray and ask you just to allow us to show them a little bit of love. Maybe invite them to a church service. But Father, let us, let us always keep our eyes on you because you're the one thing in this whole world and universe that can change their life for good. Let us not be bashful. Let us not be shy. But also let us not be harsh. But let us love and truth these, these people. Let us see them through your eyes as your prodigal sons, and you're waiting for them to come home.